Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Joe D'Alessandro, president and CEO of SF Travel. Last year, he made waves in a column of mine when he said of his beloved San Francisco, quote, the streets are filthy, there's trash everywhere, it's disgusting, I've never seen any city like this. The homelessness, dirty streets, drug use on the streets, smash and grabs. How can it be? How can it have gotten to this point? It was notable because his whole job is attracting tourists to come here. Today he's talking about whether the city's street misery has improved at all, steps SF Travel is taking to make the downtown better, and of course, I had to ask him about the upcoming closure of Beach Blanket Babylon. I'll be right back with Joe D'Alessandro. I'm Heather Knight, here with Joe D'Alessandro. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It's good to see you. Thank you. It's great being here. So I talked to you about a year ago for a column that got a lot of attention. You were addressing the misery on San Francisco streets, the car break-ins, dirty streets, needles, um, ten encampments, everything that we're all so used to. I wanted to read you a couple of quotes for old times' sake. <laughs> um, You said, we can't be quiet anymore. We've got such a glorious history, such a beautiful setting, and the fact is we're letting it all slip away into this quality of life now that is not good for anybody. We've become complacent, and I think we've taken this as a new kind of normal, and it's not, it's wrong, and we have to do something about it. I got a ton of response to that column, and I was wondering what kind of response you got. I had a lot, too. A lot of people that uh, was uh, congratulating me for speaking up, especially kind of in my role as somebody that promotes San Francisco. Yes, I'm not, not supposed to talk <laughs> <laughs> negatively about the city, but it's a city that I love very much. And I felt like there had to be this discussion you know, at a higher level and not a level necessarily that I could bring to a higher level, but more public discussion about it. And and I really do believe that uh, we have to fight for this city. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's such an incredible place with such amazing history and such incredible natural beauty that if we don't fight for it, we're, we're at risk of losing it at any given time. Right. And how would you say things have changed for better or for worse since we talked a year ago? I'm speaking specifically about needles, trash, Ten encampments, car break-ins. Yeah, I do believe that I'm seeing small steps forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way we're going to see kind of all the problems go away in, in a year. But I, I am seeing some small steps forward. Um, just walking to this interview today, I walked down Market Street for about six blocks. And the sites I saw on Market Street, whether the, the trash on the street or whatever, was better. Um, last week, I was in Washington, D.C., where a lot of our main convention clients are based because all the national associations are based there. And um, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, that was the number one thing that they told me about how sad it had uh, been to go to San Francisco. And, and the city that they remember so well in the past was looking so so poorly. And um, and I asked them, how's it looking better? How's it looking today? And by and large, they said, we're seeing improvement. Mm-hmm. And that's really all I could ask for in a mm-hmm. year, to see some improvement. Um, there's no way we're going to solve these problems overnight. But to see improvement indicates that we're headed in the right direction. So, you know, I'm more hopeful than I was a year ago. Good. You sound happier. <laughs> I am happier. <laughs> and back then, there were a couple of big name conventions that had either pulled out or were considering it. 
are there any more that um, that have pulled out because of these issues, or are you finding they're back up again? Uh, what we're seeing is that those conventions that were on a risk list from last year are still, by and large, on the risk mm-hmm. list. They want to see more being done. We're communicating with them on a regular basis about the steps that are uh, being done in San Francisco, and um, no more have canceled. But you know, uh, we're booking conventions 15, 20 years out. Right. So um, the the conventions that are taking place this year, by and large, were booked you know a decade or more. Mm-hmm. Ago. And um, so what we're really focused on is not only helping to make San Francisco a better place today, but also making sure that people feel comfortable to come here in 10 or 20 years. Because mm-hmm. um, this is a it's an ongoing struggle that we're going to have. Right. And I was wondering what you think um, of City Hall's response, whether you see there being an urgency now that there maybe wasn't. Um, we had spoken shortly after the death of Mayor Ed Lee. And then since we talked, uh, London Breed has been elected. And I wondered if you saw any difference in their leadership. <laughs> I do. I think that um, Mayor Breed has really prioritized these issues, um, really prioritized the issues of not only helping people on the streets, finding housing for people on the streets, but also um, cracking down on bad behavior. Um, um, and I can only go by facts. You know, we're seeing um, fewer needles that have to be picked up today than we saw in the past. We're seeing a decrease in car break-ins. Um, so those are indicators that there is positive movement from City Hall. Um, some of these uh, in, uh, things that she's putting in place we won't see the effects for a long time. Um, some take a couple of years. Even the budget increases that she did uh, last year for uh, street cleanliness and additional police officers, that takes time to get mm-hmm. those police officers on the street. So I'm hopeful that as time goes on, we're going to see more improvement on the street because there is a lot of work to go. There's a lot to, that still needs to be done. But if we're starting to see uh, things turn around and head in a positive direction, I could only be hopeful that it's going to get better as more of these programs get implemented. And are you hearing as many complaints as you did a year ago from tourists and hotels and others that you work with on a day-to-day basis? I am still hearing a lot of complaints, yes. Um, But it's probably not the only thing that I'm getting complaints about now. Um, What else do you get complaints about? The cost of San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Those two issues were always the top two things, how expensive it is. Not only, we all know how expensive it is to live here, but it's also very expensive to visit here. So we, and it's pushing a lot of people, a lot of lower income people, a lot of middle income people away from San Francisco Mm -hmm. because it's just so expensive to do anything here. So we still hear that, but I'm hearing fewer complaints about the condition of our streets. The the complaints haven't gone away. I want to be honest. I want to be honest. They have not gone away, but they are even those people that know San Francisco are starting to feel a little bit more hopeful. Yeah. I feel like at least people are realizing and saying out loud like you did that this isn't okay, which is even movement, you know, because for a long time it seemed like you were mean if you said, you know, anything negative about some of these conditions on our city. That's exactly right. And I, you know, this is the city of St. Francis and I keep having to reiterate that. And we want to approach these issues from a compassionate level. And, um, but we have to talk about that and we have to be firm about that. And we have to, we have to say, this is not right. When we see something that's not right, these people are on the streets, you know, um, they're living in in many times in misery. And, Mm -hmm. And I think it's our obligation, not just to push them away, but to find some solutions for them, to find, you know, housing for them, um, short term and long term, to find programs that they can go into, to a, address their addictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an obligation as a society to do that. And mm-hmm. San Francisco only becomes better when we solve the problems, not when we try to move them someplace else or mm-hmm. try to hide them. Mm-hmm. But getting to the, the solutions of the problems, I think, is the hardest thing. Yeah. But that looks like the direction that we're trying to head. And I'm, I'm feeling very proud about that. That's good. Um, one potential solution that Mayor Breed is pushing is becoming the first city in the country to open a safe injection site. And um, 
Governor Brown vetoed um, allowing San Francisco to try that last year. But uh, State Senator Scott Weiner is trying again and is hopeful that Governor Newsom will approve it in a few months. So I was wondering if SF Travel has an opinion on that. Yes, we supported that initially, uh, much like a large part of the business community, the Chamber of Commerce uh, supported that. And and we're hopeful that it would only not only passes again, but the governor signs it. Um, again, this is a, a clear example. Um, we're letting people shoot up in the streets, in many cases, overdosing and dying. Mm-hmm. That's not compassionate. No. That's not compassion at all. Putting people into an area where they could be supervised um, and, and safe injections so that they're not transmitting diseases or themselves the chance of overdoing is a compassionate solution to this problem. And I think those are the types of solution that we really need to look for. Does it feel weird to say that the Chamber of Commerce is supporting a safe injection site? It seems sort of like an oxymoron. <laughs> well, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is with us in a lot of these areas about they want San Francisco to be a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got employees that work, you know, they're stepping over people that are passed out because they just shot up in mm-hmm. the streets. That's not good for anybody. So we have to, you know, make sure that we take steps to make sure that the environment is great to live in, to visit, and to work in. Right. And I know that SF Travel is doing some work on its own to address some of these issues. And so you've recently partnered with the Downtown Streets team. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, we're very excited about this program. So back up a a year ago, Mm -hmm. we worked with the San Francisco Police Department to hire 10B officers. Those are officers that we can hire on their overtime hours or or when they're not working to patrol the area around Moscone, just to make sure that people who are in need of help can get help and, and that the area seems to be safer. That has really worked. We have heard a lot of our convention customers that say they feel safe safer walking around mm-hmm. Moscone. There are fewer people maybe um, uh, harassing them or, or threatening them, them and, and that's a good step. So just in March, we um, uh, did a partnership with Downtown Streets. For, it's a trial partnership for a year where they um, work with formerly homeless or people who are on the verge of becoming homeless or people who are homeless to uh, help patrol and, and clean the streets in the area. And uh, it's been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They have been picking up uh, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of trash every single week, needles that are lying on the street. And they're wonderful people. I get the chance to go and meet some of them and mm-hmm. talk to them. Um, they feel that this is an opportunity to, to help themselves. So what we're, we're really doing is, a, is again, a, a compassionate step is working with downtown streets that are trying to help people who are stuck in this uh, situation when they can't find permanent housing or maybe a job, give them something to do, and at the same time, cleaning the streets. It seems like, it to me, it's a real win-win for mm-hmm. everybody. When I talk to our, our big convention clients, they say, that's a beautiful San Francisco-style solution. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to arrest people, instead of uh, pushing people away from the, the tourist areas, we're, we're bringing them in, giving them some jobs, some reason to hopefully... Uh, think that their future may be better, and at the same time, making the streets cleaner. Mm-hmm. And it really is a win-win. We're very excited about that, and uh, and we're seeing very positive improvement. I would like to see that uh, program extended to all business districts of San Francisco. Yeah. I think the neighbors would love it. And, um, and again, we're helping people at the same time. Mm-hmm. And tourist numbers are actually up a bit this year, right, year over year. Um, so... Definitely the city's uh, reputation for homelessness and drug use has gone worldwide. A ton of uh, international media outlets have written a lot about it in the past year, and yet people are still coming in more numbers than ever. So I was wondering why you think people are still drawn to San Francisco. It's still a remarkable city. <laughs> you know, the natural beauty remains. The The Golden Gate Bridge remains. You know, we've got one of the hottest restaurant scenes in the in the world right now uh, with the recognition of that. And so people still are driven to come to San Francisco. When uh, when we book conventions, sometimes we're booking them 10 or 20 years out. So a lot of the people that are coming here for conventions, w- the decision was already made a long time ago to come to San Francisco. Our concern is if we don't keep pace in, in making sure the streets are clean and safe, and safety is a real important 
important thing. It's it's a separate issue from from homelessness, a totally separate issue. Um, if if we have to make sure that to make sure that the future of San Francisco is as strong as the present, um, I'm hopeful. And uh, but we have a lot of work to do to make sure that those numbers continue to be be positive for mm-hmm. us. Are you seeing tourists, just regular families who aren't planning their trips ten and fifteen years in advance, are still coming in more numbers as well? Uh, I think that's the area that we're most concerned about, yeah. um, especially the domestic travelers, those travelers in the United States that that um, are looking at, are they going to go to you know San Francisco? Are they going to go to Denver or Chicago this year? Those are the ones I think are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They're making decisions maybe two weeks out, three weeks mm-hmm. out. They're, they're hearing some stories. They're reading something in the media or, or hearing a story about their friend or coworker that came to San Francisco and had a bad experience. Those are the ones that have the most immediate threat, and mm-hmm. we're most worried about the, the uh, longer-term customers and those from international markets, a little bit less so because they're planning further in advance and it's mm-hmm. more of a, we're more of an aspirational destination for them. Hmm. What do you mean by aspirational destination? We're, we're one of those bucket list places uh-huh. that people from Australia or France or China may have on, had on their list for their entire life to come to San Francisco yeah. and, and they still want to come here and still want to make be a part of that, that goal. The other thing is it's really important that this problem that we have in the streets is not isolated to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's a national phenomenon mm-hmm. in the United States, and it's especially hard in the West Coast. Yeah. So if you go anywhere from Seattle, frankly, Vancouver, BC, all the way down to San Diego, mm-hmm. you see it. So it is a, it's not just a local problem, and it can't just be solved locally. It's a national problem, and we have to find solutions that work regionally in order for it to really improve. So when visitors, sadly, and this is a sad uh, you know, statement about the United States in general. When when you have a visitor that goes to San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, and Seattle, they're going to see similar situations mm-hmm. in all of those cities, and that that doesn't speak very well to this country. Do you um, talk to your peers in those cities about how to improve things, or do you consider them competition and you don't want to share trade secrets? <laughs> no, we uh, very much feel that we need to work together collectively. We have a homeless task force um, under the California Travel Association. In fact, we're chairing that this year um, to find solutions that work in cities. It, it could be a small city in California. It could mm-hmm. be a big city that we can em- employ statewide. Because frankly, when if you're far away, if you're in China or Japan and you're thinking about coming, it's the California brand that really, you know, attracts you. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's important that their, their experience throughout California is positive. So we have to work together with our competitive cities to make sure that the experience um, on our streets is safe and welcoming to everybody. Mm-hmm. And switching gears a little bit, there was big news in the San Francisco tourist world the other week when it was announced that Beach Blanket Babylon is closing because Joe Schumann Silver doesn't want to rent it anymore. I was wondering what your reaction was. That's a huge tourist draw. Besides shedding a tear or two, uh-huh. um, uh, you know, it, it, it's really sad because Beach Blanket is one of those iconic San Francisco experiences that I've gone to countless times since, you know, I was much, much younger than I am now. I take customers there. I take friends there. I take took my family there and our kids just a few months ago. And it's really sad to see that. Um, but things change mm-hmm. and, and the appetites of, of uh, consumers change. And it's just inevitable that things like that, you know, have a lifespan and mm-hmm. then, then they go on. Um, it's to me, it's very sad mm-hmm. because I loved it. Um, I'm going to make sure that I go a lot between yeah. now and I bought tickets okay, for good, this summer <laughs> and, and New Year's Eve, and I encourage everybody else to do that because it's it's really one of those amazing things that uh, makes San Francisco very unique, and I'm very sad to see it go. Have you talked to Joe at all? Because some of our readers were saying that somebody else should just take it over rather than her closing it down altogether. Well, you know, we've talked to people in the company and people associated with it, and there's a very um, 
sense of ownership and, and, and pride about that. And I think there's some concern whether somebody can do it at the same level and be the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, San Francisco will have something different. Mm-hmm. Something will come and something will be the new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll never be another Beach Blanket Babylon. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have not seen it, I would really recommend people to go out of it because it's a piece of San Francisco um, like the cable car, the Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. or that is part of our history and it's part of who we are today that we're all going to miss a lot. Like Playland. Yeah. You know, we talk about I going, know. oh, I wish I went to Playland there. one more time. But yeah. I would really recommend that seeing Beach Blanket one more time as being a part of San Francisco. I think it was really reinvigorated when um, the Trump Trump administration yes. <laughs> took over. I always need good subject matter or something <laughs> like that to be very topical. And they're always incredibly topical. Yeah. Another uh, tourist news development, the idea to charge a toll to get down Lombard Street. I wondered what you think of that. Well, I have mixed feelings on that because um, I understand the the concerns that the neighbors have about too much traffic and too many people. Um, I, you know, I'm concerned that we're always targeting tourists for these uh, uh, taxes and fees. You know, when they when the tourists come here, they generate over seven hundred million dollars a year in local taxes that we don't have to pay. But we're squeezing people out. I imagine know. they're already shocked by the prices. They're as already, they are, it's right? so expensive. Yeah. You know, every, parking here is expensive. Uh, you know, staying in a hotel is expensive. Eating out is expensive. Going to attractions are expensive. So when we keep adding fees and, and assessments, wealthy people can afford that. But we're we're you know the school teacher from Missouri are going to have a hard time you know justifying mm-hmm. a trip to San Francisco because it is becoming too expensive. Mm-hmm. Every little experience you have to pay for, and frankly, for a lot of people, that's just out of their price. And I don't want us to be just a destination for wealthy people. Yeah. That, that would be wrong. That's not the character of this city. But we're getting to the point that if we're charging so much for every little thing, we are going to be a place that only people with a lot of money can afford to. And mm-hmm. I think that would be a really sad thing that would go contrary to the character of this city. Right. Um, a similar news development is the idea of the Rec and Park Department to do surge pricing for tourists for everything from the Coit Tower elevators to the Japanese Tea Garden and the Conservatory of Flowers. The commission is debating that now. Um, do you kind of see that the same way, that it's just nickel and diming tourists and becoming too much? Yeah, it, it's a concern. We haven't taken a, a position on it, but I do have a concern again. Um, you know, we've seen other areas that start charging uh, um, higher prices at certain times a day, and it just makes people stay away. Yeah. And um, so I have concern about that. I want San Francisco to be accessible to everybody. And one of the beautiful things that we have about talking about San Francisco is so much of the experience that you can have in San Francisco you don't pay for, walking down our streets, mm-hmm. you know, going on our hills, taking a, a walk down Chrissy Field, walking across the Golden Gate Bridge. Those are ex- experiences that the wealthiest people can enjoy and also the people that don't have a lot of resources mm-hmm. can enjoy, enjoy. If we start you know, nickel and diming everybody, then we're really limiting the real public access to everything. And I have concerns about that. I understand the need to control crowds. And, mm-hmm. and I believe in, in tourism management. I don't. I really don't believe that we should just open our doors at all times and have the visitors kind of ruin the character of the city. We have mm-hmm. to manage. We have to balance it out. Um, and I think there are ways to do it without discouraging people that are maybe don't have a lot of money uh, from doing the same thing that people mm-hmm. that have a lot of money to do. Right. Well, that's the end of the serious questions. And now we move on to the <laughs> lightning round. Which sometimes trips I hope this is up. not going to be a quiz or anything <laughs> like that. It sort of is. A quiz. Oh. <laughs> I ask everybody on this podcast a very important question: What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Ha! Huh, that's a, that's an interesting <laughs> one. So um, I don't have a favorite place to get a burrito, and I'll tell you why. One, 
there's too many calories in a burrito. <laughs> you so. are very trim. <laughs> so if I'm going to get a burrito, I'm going to have to split it with somebody. <laughs> and therefore, I'm always kind of like going with somebody and say, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? But it's going to be going to some place in the mission, going to some taqueria in the mission uh-huh. and uh, with friends or something like that. And that's kind of how I would do it. I don't have a go-to place okay. to get a burrito. Okay. And that's honest. I'm not just trying to <laughs> – that's an honest truth. What I think you might have an answer to this one. What is your favorite place to get a stiff drink? <laughs> so there are a number of places. One of my and it often changes because yeah. I, you know, the, the, the latest place that's that's fun. Um, I think that the Pied Piper Bar in the Palace Hotel mm-hmm. is exceptional. Um, yeah. And they just opened a year ago their back room that had been not open to the public for a long time, and the architectural beauty in that space is incredible. And it's really one of those only in San Francisco experiences. Yeah. It, you don't find that in a lot of other cities. And I love the the, the facility and it's a great place to get a drink. Um, going to a place like the Top of the Mark is also pretty exceptional. <laughs> um, and going to Tonga Room. I mean, if you haven't gone to the Tonga Room uh-huh. in the Fairmont Hotel, that's that's a that's blast. A fun, that's a lot. Of, but there are all, also a lot of um, you know smaller bars that I think that are really fun uh, almost in any neighborhood. I live in North Beach. So, mm-hmm. you know, I like... I walked to worked in the financial district, and I like sometimes stopping on Grand Avenue at some of the little bars mm-hmm. on the way home and stopping and, and, and maybe meeting somebody there or getting a drink there. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the beauties of San Francisco is that there we have so much, an abundance of places to choose from that they're in every neighborhood of the city that yeah. it's, it's really pretty amazing. And what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? So um, Vertigo. Okay. Um, although I love almost every movie that's filmed in San Francisco, even the Planet of the Apes <laughs> movies or Star uh, Trek, which I just saw the other day uh-huh. again. But Vertigo, I think, ca- captures that character of San Francisco that still is around today. And I love looking at the scenes of these neighborhoods and trying to figure out where they were filmed or trying to see those places today. And when you see a tourist dressed in a tank top and shorts in July, how do you respond? Do you clue them in that they need to go back and get a sweatshirt or just laugh to yourself? I just kind of laugh to myself. <laughs> um, you know, they, they come just like we would do going to some other place and uh, and not being sure what the weather is going to be like. Um, I smile and um, and wish them a good day. <laughs> what I do and I encourage all other San Franciscans to do when you see somebody with their map open, yeah. they're uh, looking lost. Help them out. Tell yeah. them where this direction is I because agree. people really want to go to a place where people are friendly. Yeah. And and when you do that, it just shows people that people in the city care. And it's a small gesture to make somebody's trip really memorable. Agreed. Okay. Fisherman's Wharf. Love it or hate it? I love it. I live three and a half blocks from Fisherman's Wharf. It's got some of the best weather in San Francisco. Um, and it's, it's fun to walk around on a summer evening. Sometimes I go home and I'll walk down there and see all the visitors and listen to the street musicians. I, I think it's just the character of San Francisco. And it's, it's part of you know, why you go there. It's like you know, living in New York and saying, I'm never going to Times Square. That's silly because you're missing out on something that that's, makes New York New York. And yeah. I think that uh, Fisherman's Wharf is one of the attract the, the reason people from all over the world like to go to it because it's unique mm-hmm. and interesting. And so I, I have a fun time there too. Okay. And when you have visitors come to town for one day, wh- where do you take them? What's the perfect one day? 
agenda in San Francisco? So I always like to start, especially if they haven't been here in a long time or never before, I like to um, go up to Twin Peaks and orient them with the view and tell them how small the mm-hmm. city is. Mm-hmm. And then it really depends on what their interests are. Sometimes I'll, you know, you know, my husband and I will take, you know, friends to the Castro or we'll, we'll walk around North Beach or we'll go to the, you know, go to a museum. If some, something's in town at the SF MoMA or at the De Young, we'll take them there. But mm-hmm. I always like to orient themselves, orient um, them with the view of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you got to take them by the bridge. They, yeah. they can't leave San Francisco without going on the Golden Gate Bridge, riding a bike across it, walking on it, or getting on a boat and going under it. I think that is kind of key things to, if you've got one day in San Francisco, yeah. you've got to do. Cool. What would you say is the most underrated tourist attraction in the city? Um, that's that's a really good question. And I think possibly the Presidio. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Presidio is exceptional uh, in its natural beauty, in its history. Um, I don't know how many people listening to this have ever been to the Walt Disney Family Museum, mm-hmm. for I example. Been. It's incredible. It is not about Disneyland, but it's about Walt Disney, the artist, the, his talent. Mm-hmm. It's really an exceptional thing to visit. Um, there's some great restaurants in the Presidio. They're uh, covering the the tunnels there on the that are with this incredible walkway and gardens. I think with incredible views of the of the bay and um, of the Golden Gate Bridge. I think the Presidio are really and they've got two great inns where you can actually mm-hmm. spend the night there in historic buildings. In fact, a trivia question for you mm-hmm. is: Do you know that the the most recent National Park Lodge to open was in the Presidio. I did not know that. So most I'm people, glad that you included the answer in the question. Yeah, I did. <laughs> to make, not to embarrass you as the pro. But most people don't realize that we have a national park in the heart of the city of San Francisco. And these lodges are the end of the Presidio and the, and the Presidio Lodge are national park lodges. Mm-hmm. That people from all over the world want to come to a U.S. national park in Santa Lodge. We have one right in, in the city of San Francisco. Very cool. I don't know if you'll answer this, but conversely, what is the most overrated tourist attraction in the city? Uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> no, in San Francisco. <laughs> um, I'm going to stay. I'm going to refuse to answer that on the grounds that it may incriminate me. <laughs> you know, you know, any sort of when you visit anything, it's really up to your personal taste. So, yeah. you know, some people get um, think that anything is overrated. I read this, you know, internet um, uh, thing about the ten most overrated uh, destinations in the world, and they included Paris and London and Rome. And I thought, what? what? You know, who, who would write that? You know what I mean? That's crazy. It is crazy. So, you know, I think it's. I don't think there are any overrated attractions or destinations. <laughs> That's in San very Francisco. diplomatic of you. <laughs> Um, I think we can agree that San Francisco is one of the dirtiest cities in the world. Are there any cities that you've traveled to lately that you thought, wow, they're really doing something right there, clean sidewalks, and it's a pleasure to walk around? So I do think San Francisco's got a long way to go in it. And I think a lot of this is our own fault. Mm-hmm. I think that we are dirt. We are just lazy. Mm-hmm. And um, people, I see people throwing things in the ground all the time. I was in Tokyo last week, and the streets are immaculate. Mm-hmm. And I had some trash in my hand, and I was desperately looking for a garbage can. And I couldn't find any. And so I talked to somebody a local about it, and they said that uh, after the sarin gas attacks a number of years ago, they decided to eliminate public garbage cans. Mm. And they also don't let coffee houses have disposable coffee cups. So they generate less trash. Mm. 
And um, and I thought I don't that think was disposable an... coffee cup ban would work here. No, people would be outraged. People would be outraged. <laughs> but we have to take up our own responsibility to clean up our yeah. own city. You know, this is it, it gets windy here, mm-hmm. and we have these bins that have newspapers and stuff that I see floating around all the time. And we are we live in a very you know disposable society, yeah. and I think that's part of our problem. Mm-hmm. So I thought Tokyo it was fascinating that you don't see people walking around with sandwiches wrapped in paper that they're going to look for a place to throw the paper Mm -hmm. because that's just not an option. But you have to make some hard decisions. Do you want to live in a clean place um, that takes recycling to the next level Mm -hmm. and doesn't generate a lot of the needs to compost Mm -hmm. because you're not wasting it in the first place? Or putting trash receptacle receptacles on every half block mm-hmm. because we're so lazy. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, ha- generate this trash and throw it away. Mm-hmm. I, I think those are the tough things that we may have to look at long term. I think we all have to do a better job of keeping things clean. Yeah. Don't be afraid to pick something up mm-hmm. uh, if you see something, you know, blowing down the street. Um, we have a long way to go on that. For sure. And lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Walking. I think that this is one of the most incredible walking cities in the world. And, you know, some of us local people complain about, oh, it's cold. But I think that enables us to walk around and get Mm -hmm. around more. I walk half hour to work every day. Um, I walk down here to this interview. I I, I walk everywhere. And one of the great things about walking is you get to see something you don't see in a car. You get to see something you don't see if you're traveling a subway underground. You get to see people. You get to see restaurants. You get to see something different, Mm -hmm. architecture, and, and appreciate that. I think if everybody just walked around... San Francisco a little bit more, they would realize what a magical place this really is. What an incredible part of the world this is and how fortunate we are to be able to live here, work here, or visit here. Well, you seem a lot happier than you did a year ago. <laughs> I'm more hopeful. Good. Um, I, you know, we got work to do. We got a lot of work to do. I hope, Heather, you'll call me back in a year or two. We can make and, it an annual thing. <laughs> and we could talk about how things have improved. I don't want to see us slide backwards, yeah. and I worry about that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming today. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you. It's always great. Thank you to Joe D'Alessandro for joining me today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.